our scripture reading for this afternoon is from Colossians 3. It is printed in your bulletin on page 11, and you can also see it projected behind me, starting in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as Christ's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Easton. All right, uh, kids, I mentioned your new Trinity Kids Bulletin earlier. You can grab it right now, and you can find the spot to uh, write down these three things. One is Juneteenth. Secondly is a, an illustration about a men's tailor. And then finally, uh, Buzz Lightyear. So Juneteenth, men's tailor, and Buzz Lightyear. So with that, let me, uh, let me pray for us as we come to this great passage together. Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, we pray now that by your spirit, the word of Christ would dwell in us richly, that you would accomplish what you desire in our hearts, and that above all, we would come to behold your son, our savior, our Lord Jesus, in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, that we would be drawn to him, that we would find our life in him. And so we pray we would hear from him now. We ask it all in his name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, in June of last year, uh, and some of you might, might know this, Juneteenth uh, became an official holiday for the first time uh, in our nation. It was June 17th of 2021, and it was largely due uh, to the, the many, many years of Fort Worth's own Opal Lee. Uh, she is one, she's 94 years old, and, uh, and she's sometimes called the, the grandmother of Juneteenth. Here's the deal, though. If you did not grow up in Texas, then you might not even know what I'm saying right now, right? Uh, that word uh, Juneteenth uh, might be new to you. It was new to me before uh, or uh, until I came to Texas. What Juneteenth is, is it's the commemoration of the announcement on June 19th 1865, 
of the abolition of slavery in Texas. So here are the dates as to how this happened. Uh, Lincoln had proclaimed or had issued the Emancipation Proclamation. This was September 22nd, 1862. It became effective January 1st, 1863. But then it took over two years, two years, until the end of the Civil War for the, the news and especially the effects of that freedom to reach these certain parts in Texas. And so it was all the way down in Galveston where this message went to. And so a Union Army general read what was called General Order Number 3, and it said this, the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. And if this is your first time hearing this, then I'm guessing probably what strikes you is what struck me initially, and it's that how long it took from the time of this proclamation to actually these enslaved people being set free. And it had everything to do with this announcement of their freedom making it to this particular part of the country. And it's really awful if you think about it. But, But then what happened in this one moment is that their entire lives were changed because of that announcement. They go from from one moment of being forcibly enslaved to now completely free. And it's it's hard, I would say even impossible to imagine the kind of emotion that you would experience in that moment. The, 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 The sense of overwhelming joy and at the same time, this experience of your entire life being completely different now. And so, of course, what happened is that there were these huge parties and celebrations that took place, and that's still the way it's celebrated every year. But here's what's real interesting. A huge part of the first celebration in 1865 actually involved what was called a changing of clothes. You might think, like, okay, why? Well, for this reason. Because to that point, slaves had been prohibited from, uh, by law from wearing the kind of clothing that would indicate the status of a slave owner. And so part of the celebration was throwing off and getting rid of these clothes, these slaves' clothes, and putting on the new clothes that would show that you are now a free person. And it was because of these clothes that it would show forth this new identity that you had as a free person. And so here's what's interesting about this passage. Paul uses the language in this passage of changing clothes. But the way that he uses it, though, is he uses that image to describe this decisive change that takes place in a person's life when you put your faith in Jesus. He says that what happens is that when you put your faith in Jesus, your fundamental identity changes. And we talked some about this last week. And the reason it changes is because you are now united to Jesus. And so in verses 9 and 10, he says, you have put off these old clothes, And you have now, once for all, put on these new clothes. And the reason for that is because you are now a new person. God, by his grace, has set you free. Because now you have died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, and now you have this this new power and new identity. Sin is no longer your master. This is what you have now been given in Jesus. And so that's what Paul has said pretty much in verses 1 through 4. Here's the call of this passage. He's saying this, wear those new clothes. Put them on and wear these new clothes that have been given to you. Or we could say it this way, maybe a bit more theologically, live as the new person that you really are now in Christ. 
That's the call. Here's the deal, though. That's easy to say, but it's not as easy as it sounds to actually do. And if you're here this afternoon and you've been a Christian for any amount of time, then you know that to be true, that there is this temptation within all of us to slip back into the old clothes, to live as who you used to be. And we're gonna talk more about why that is. But what I wanna do is, is frame this passage under two headings. Here's the first. Stop living as who you were. And then the second is start living as who you are. So first, stop living as who you were. And this comes up in, in a couple of commandments in this first paragraph. The first is in verse five. And then the second is in verse eight. So look at verse five. Paul says this, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Okay, so what does he mean by earthly? Well, he gives this sample list, and here's what he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Here's what's interesting uh, about this list, is that what he chooses to highlight right here all involves some kind of sexual sin. And, and this is something that Paul does in other parts of, the le- of his letters. Uh, most think the reason for that is because he's writing to a largely Gentile audience. And so these are people who have come to faith in Jesus out of a background where there was all kinds of sexual permissiveness and sexual immorality. And so he, he's writing specifically to them for that reason. But, but here's what I think is so interesting about this, is that when Paul describes the kinds of sin that, that would be tempting for a Christian to, to, to fall back into, to live as who they were, rather than as who they are, he chooses sexual sin to mention. He, he could have mentioned anything here. And he goes on to talk some about anger in the next list. We'll talk about that. But here he emphasizes sexual sin. And so I, I don't want to push this any farther than what, uh, than what Paul would here. But, but here's something to consider. There is a massive temptation in our world to view your sexuality or your sexual orientation as the most fundamental thing about you. That what really defines you at the core is your sexuality. That that is the most important feature about you. And because that's true, that you should then be able to do whatever you want with whomever you want, as long as it's consensual. That's kind of the only parameter on it. And of course, what, what, what the Bible says about that is that that's not the way the Bible talks about sexuality. And, and here's a really important qualifier. It's not because the Bible is anti-sex. The Bible is the furthest thing from that. Sex in the Bible is this incredible gift of God that, that, that's given to a man and a woman to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. And so this is important to remember. God thought it up, right? He's the one who created sex. Here's the thing though, because it's such a good and powerful gift, because of that, when we misuse it, it it can become then so dangerous and destructive. And of course we know that to be true. And I think part of the reason that that it's worth highlighting this right here is because for, for some of us it could be that it's in the area of sexual sin that you feel most beaten down right now. And so if we're gonna begin talking about change, it's that area of your life that feels like you are under relentless attack. So here's what St. Augustine talked about as he was describing his own struggle with sexual immorality. He said this, he said, but in my memory of which I have spoken at length, 
There still live images of acts which were fixed there by my sexual habit. These images attack me. They attack me. And so what Paul is saying here is to not let that enemy continue to live in you. That sin, he says, no longer has dominion over you, so don't let it try to act as though it does. He says, put it to death because this is the sin that is trying to kill you. So here's a question then. What does that look like? What would it mean to, to put sin to death? Well, uh, one of the ways that Sinclair Ferguson describes this is he says it's actually easier to describe what he's not saying here. He says putting sin to death is not the complete elimination of the presence of sin from your life. You might read that and think that, that's what Paul's saying. The, the problem with that is that if that's what you believe, then you're gonna end up incredibly discouraged because the Bible does not promise that we will be free from the presence of sin until either we go to be with the Lord or Jesus returns. That's, that's not what he's saying here. Neither is he talking about some kind of attempt that we might have to, to divert our sin into a more socially acceptable form. It may be that we were addicted to something at, at one point that was not very socially acceptable, so we were able to kind of move that addiction into a realm of something that's a bit more socially acceptable. That's not what Paul's talking about here. What he has in mind is this active fighting against sin. It's this refusal to let it get a hold on you. It's asking this question. How can I cut off the oxygen to this sin? How, how, how can I kill this sin at the very root rather than maybe just trying to manage it? Or, or even at sometimes just trying to flirt with it just a little bit without going too far with it. And so I think what, what could be one of the most helpful images and things to keep in mind here is to remember that sin is your enemy. That sin is trying to kill you. And so Spurgeon said it this way. He said, we carry our own worst enemies within us. Now, obviously, it doesn't feel that way, but, but what sin is trying to do is drag you down this path away from the Lord and away from everything that is actually good for you and good for those around you. And that's why Paul says to put it to death. That's the first command. The second is in verse eight. He says this, now you must put them all away. That's actually the, the word here for uh, putting away clothing here. So look at the list that he, he says here. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And then in verse 9, he talks about lying. Here's what's interesting about this list. It goes from these heart-level sorts of uh, internal sins to what's eventually spoken outwardly. That's exactly the way Jesus talks about sin as well. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he's saying... When you harbor anger, when you harbor wrath, when you harbor malice towards someone, that's eventually gonna show itself. And the form that's gonna take is in slander. It's gonna show itself in speaking obscenely and maliciously about other people. It's gonna, talk, or it's gonna show itself in lying to other people. And what Paul says here is to put them all away. And literally, that's this first instance of the word of putting off these old clothes. He's saying, get rid of those old clothes. Why? He's saying it because they don't fit you anymore. Because this is no longer who you are now in Christ. It's who you were. And that's what he says in verse seven. He says, and these you too once walked when you were living in them. So at one time you did walk in these ways. 
This was how you lived. Here's the deal now though. That is not who you are anymore. That all belongs to the old self. And it's that old self that was crucified with Jesus. So this is what Paul says in the middle of verse nine. He says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so what he's talking about here is this one time decisive act of putting your faith in Jesus. And as you did that, you put off this old way of life once and for all. He's saying, don't return to it. Then he goes on in verse 10, he says, and you have now put on the new self, which is being renewed after the image of his creator. The New English translation puts it this way. You have been clothed with the new man. So here's the image that I, that I want you to, to have in your mind now. In Jesus, God has given you this gloriously clean, radiant set of new clothes. He has put those on you. And the call then is to stop trying to put on the old clothes. Here's the question though. Why is that still so tempting for us? Why is it still so tempting for us to try to wear those old ones? There are a lot of reasons for this. For this. I'm gonna just suggest one and it's this. It's because we're so used to the old ones. You know, in, in some cases, you've been wearing those clothes for a really long time. And that feels really natural to you now. There's a sense in which those clothes feel more comfortable to you. They're more familiar to you. To the point where when you put on those new clothes that really do fit you, that really do belong on you now, they don't feel as natural as the old ones. There are ways in which they don't feel as comfortable as the old ones, even though they fit you now as who you really are. So one of the, uh, the best illustrations of this that I've heard is from Brian Habig. He, uh, he mentions this interview that he saw one time with a men's tailor. And this guy was a men's tailor for, uh, for very wealthy men. And one of the things that he said is that the ongoing problem for men buying clothes is that they buy clothes that are too big for them. And you think, well, okay, why, why, would, why would that happen? Well, because when they were young, they would buy these clothes that were big enough for them to grow into because they're growing so fast. And as a father of two teenage sons and one almost teenage son, I know all about that, right? That's how you buy clothes. But what he said is that for most men, they never kind of get out of that mode of thinking. And so they just continue in this pattern and continue buying clothes that are too big because they don't realize they've stopped growing. And so what happens then is then when, uh, when he gets them into clothes that actually fit them, they feel too tight. It feels like they're wearing skinny jeans. Not that there's anything wrong with that, of course. It feels like the, the blazer is too snug on you in these ways. They feel uncomfortable in all these ways, like something is not right. This is uncomfortable to me, even though they fit exactly as they should. So here's the point. As those who still struggle with sin, just like all of us do, it shouldn't be surprising to us that wearing these new clothes that have been given to us by the Lord that really do fit you now because you are united to Jesus still feel uncomfortable. That they still feel a little awkward sometimes. That it still feels like something that's unfamiliar to you. And so the question then for us is how can these new clothes that really do fit become more and more comfortable to us? Another way to ask this 
is how can we begin to start living as who we really are? So three ways, and this is our, our second point then. This is what Paul does uh, in the latter half of this passage. So here's the first way that these clothes can become more comfortable to us. It's by remembering who you really are in Christ. This is where Paul begins in verse 12. He says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What's Paul doing here? He's reminding them from the very start that this is who you really are. And he says these three things specifically. You are God's chosen ones. You are now the object of God's affection. He has set his love upon you and he has chosen you. And this is not some kind of cold, random choosing. The kind of choosing you need to think of here is the choosing of the adopting parents who come to their child and take this child as their own. You are God's chosen one. He says, secondly, you are holy. You have been set apart for him. You are a distinct people, a people that is set apart specifically for him. And he says, finally then, you are beloved. The God of the Bible delights in you. He cherishes you. He loves you. And then he says there, there are a couple of really important things here to, to notice about this. One is this. All of these terms are terms that are used of Israel in the Old Testament. And so one example of this is Deuteronomy 7, 6. He says this, but you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And Paul is now saying, this is God's posture towards you. This is now who you are. You are the Lord's treasured possession. Here's the other important thing about this. These are also the ways that Jesus himself is described. Jesus is God's chosen one. Jesus is the Holy One. Jesus is beloved by the Father. And that's why if you are united to him by faith, these same things are true of you right now. And so in John's gospel, Jesus actually says, and he prays this in John 17, that, that the love that the Father has for the Son is the very same love that the Father now has for you. That is who you are. That is what is most fundamental about you. This is your truest identity, that you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Why would this be so important to emphasize right here? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One is this, Paul's about to give a lot of commands. He's about to call us to live in a particular way. And so it's tempting here, it might be tempting at least, to read these things and think, maybe not consciously, but very subtly, this is what I need to do in order to either earn God's love or at least to stay in his love, right? And so what Paul wants to emphasize from the start here is to say, that's not the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that because of Jesus' work on your behalf, you are already chosen in him. You are already holy and beloved in him. The call here is to live in light of that grace that has already been shown to you. That's the first reason that Paul mentions it here. Here's the other reason I think this is really important. It's because you have all kinds of voices trying to tell you who you are. Some of these voices are, are coming from the outside. You're hearing these voices in the world around you that are trying to define you and tell you what your fundamental identity really is. 
But there are also a whole lot of voices that can come from the inside. And it's sometimes because you have internalized these voices from the outside so that now what you hear internally sounds just like your voice telling you those very same things. And so what what Paul says here is that those voices are not the fundamental voice. There is one voice to listen to, and it's the Father's voice who tells you who you really are. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So that's the first way that these clothes will become more comfortable to us. It's by remembering who we are in Christ. Here's the second reason. It's by living in light of who you are in Christ. By living in light of who you are in Christ, this is really what the rest of the passage is all about. Paul is saying, because you are God's chosen ones, because you are those holy and beloved, now live as who you really are. Live into your identity as one loved by God. Because as you do that, it's actually gonna transform the way that you live your life. Here's his point. The way that you understand who you are is gonna shape the way you live. So kids, uh, one of the best examples of this is Buzz Lightyear. So think back to uh, Toy Story 1. Buzz Lightyear at that point in the early days is totally convinced that he is this, super, this, uh, this space ranger superhero. That is his identity, right? And because he believes that is the most, the most fundamental identity of his own, then what that means is that his mission in life and purpose is to protect the galaxy from the evil Emperor Zerg, right? His identity shapes his life, the whole of his life. What Paul is saying is that you have died and you have been raised with Christ. That is who you are. So now put on these clothes that fit who you really are. And that's what he goes on to describe in verses 12 through 15. He talks some about what these new clothes look like. We don't have time to look at those, but we could, we could say uh, that, that, that this, is who, this is living in light of who you really are in Christ. That is the, the second way in which these clothes begin to feel more comfortable. Here's the third and final way. Not only are you just living in light of who you are in Christ, you also are living in light of who you will be in Christ. This is what Paul says in verse 10. He says this, you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You notice there that it's passive in meaning. And here's why that matters. It matters because it means that you are not the one who is renewing who is this image of God in yourself. You are giving yourself to this work, but the one doing this work is God himself. God is the one who is renewing his image in you. This is what he's getting at here. And so the, the question then, if that, if that is God's work, then what is our call? Our call in this is to give ourselves to that work of the Father. One of the ways that he mentions specifically is by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That word of Christ that he's talking about there is both the, the, the word about Jesus and it's also the word from Jesus. And why would that be so important? It's so important because we constantly need to hear his voice. We need to have this, this story of the gospel so deep within our bones that it really does shape our lives because it's that word of Christ that's gonna remind you who you are. 
It's that word of Christ that is going to remind you of what Jesus has done. And it's going to remind you over and over again of what your future really is. Paul says to do this by the, the, this teaching and admonishing one another and singing. All those things can happen in a lot of different ways. Here's the way I want to emphasize it. It happens most clearly right here in worship together. Where we are, are immersed in this gospel message. Where we re- rehearse the gospel in song where we hear it proclaimed in word, where we experience it and enact it at this table, and where we make our way through this story, even in the structure of the liturgy itself. See, worship is the place where God is gonna help you to feel more and more comfortable in the clothes that he's given you to wear. Because what worship does is it reminds you that in Christ, you have been set free. So think back here to, uh, to that first Juneteenth day, June 19th, 1865, to that original celebration. And in this moment, these people who had been enslaved and it had been all that they had ever known are set free. And in the symbolic act of that, they're they're getting rid of their slaves' clothes and they're putting on these new clothes that belong to their new identity as free people. So here's the question. Do you think it took some time to get used to those new clothes? To to, to get used to, to what it meant to live into this new radical freedom that really was theirs. Absolutely. Was it worth it to live into that freedom? Of course it was, without a doubt. See, that is Paul's call to you. If you've put your faith in Jesus, that you've been given a new set of clothes, you are now clothed in Christ. And so the call and the invitation is to step into that new life that is yours. That's what he offers to you. Let me pray. Father, we do give you thanks that you are a God who has shown us such incredible grace and mercy, that you have set your love upon us, that you have called us holy and beloved, and that you have done everything necessary in and through Jesus to give us this new set of clothes. We have died with him, we've been raised with him. And so, Father, we pray that we would continue to live into this reality, that we would be a people who more and more live as those, live as those who, uh, that we really are in Christ now and who we one day will be. We pray this all uh, for his glory and for our good. Amen.